are listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning and welcome to episode 49 of Footprints on Our Hearts. Today I have an interview with Christina Rothwell, whose baby daughter died during pregnancy last year. Christina was pregnant during the first COVID lockdown in the UK and she was diagnosed quite early on as having low pape and uh, it was discovered that she had a very large fibroid on the outside of her uterus. And Christina's care was somewhat compromised, as were you know a lot of mums at that time, by being unable to see midwives and you know having to do everything remotely. And she feels like this compromise of her care due to COVID could have contributed both to her daughter's death and to her trauma around the experience. And in addition to talking about Peanut's story, we also talk about Christina's experience of PTSD and how therapy has helped with her, helped her to overcome her trauma over the past few months. Uh, before we get into the episode, I just wanted to make a quick kind of admin announcement about the podcast. Um, so as you know, um, I've had a bit of help with editing the podcast and also I've had a few guest hosts over the past couple of months to help me keep the podcast going after the birth of my son last year. Um, that, um, you know, the help I had, I've been extremely grateful to. I had some very good friends of mine who stepped in to help with editing the episodes, but that could only go on for a certain amount of time. And at the end of last year, I was left considering what the future of this podcast was going to be and whether in reality I'd be able to carry on with it. Um, and I'm delighted to say, first of all, that I will be carrying on with it. Um, I have managed to find a fantastic volunteer to help with editing the podcast. So big shout out to Izzy, if you're listening. Thank you so much for offering to help with this. And that means that I can continue to put out these podcast episodes, but I will be doing it on a fortnightly basis for at least the next few months. Um, And that's because just because of the time it takes and the work it takes for me to be able to schedule in interviews and to talk to people. Um, Even with uh, you know, Izzy helping out with the editing of the podcast is still quite a lot of work, my end. And in particular, scheduling those interviews is a bit more difficult now that I have a baby son. Um, so my availability for that is limited. So obviously trying to trying to get times which are suitable for both me and my guest to do those interviews is, is a little bit trickier than it was before. Um, so I hope that you'll stick with the podcast. I hope that, um, you know, if you haven't listened to the backlist yet, there is a large backlist of episodes now. The podcast has been going for almost a year 
and I'm thinking of what I can do to celebrate that anniversary coming up. Um, I also may do some additional podcast episodes, solo shows or special shows in between those interview episodes. So, you know, it may be that you end up with sort of three or possibly four podcast episodes a month rather than the the normal four or five. But really, I'm going to see how it goes and see what I can do. I don't want to commit to something that I then can't deliver. And certainly what I've found over the past few months is that it's it has been really hard for me to um, to put out those podcasts on a weekly basis. It's been quite stressful. Um, I've had quite a lot of late nights, um, which combined with kind of getting up during the night to um, to feed my son and the, the general sleep deprivation has been pretty hard. And you know, it's it's affected my sort of thoughts and feelings around the podcast. And I want to I want it to continue to be a positive thing in my life and a positive thing. For, for you to listen to. Um, so, you know, I do a lot of preaching about how you have to be kind to yourself. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to take my own advice for once. <laughs> so, yeah, I apologise that I won't be able to put it out every week um, for the next few months, but I will be keeping this under review. And if I can increase the frequency, then I will be doing so. So I hope you enjoy this week's podcast episode and take care of yourselves. And, you know, I know a lot of us are going through a tough time at the moment being in lockdown and all the emotions and things that that stirs up. So, yeah, please do put yourself first. Remember, you can only help fill others from a full cup. So don't let your well run dry. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Christina, whose daughter died at 22 weeks gestation just six months ago in June 2020. Welcome to the podcast, Christina, and thank you so much for coming on to share your story. Oh, no, it's good to, um, good to be here. I've actually been quite looking forward to it. So yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Let's start by going right back to the beginning. When did you first decide you wanted to start a family and how was your journey to getting pregnant? Yeah, so we, um, me and my partner um, decided at Christmas, um, so last December, that we were sort of ready to um, start trying for a family. And that happened really easily. So we fell pregnant in February, so just a couple of months, um, which was great. And um, yeah, so that happened quite quickly. We then booked a private scan. So I just wanted that reassurance straight away. Um, so we booked a private scan, which we had at eight weeks. Um, so on there, it was all very, um, very good, a really strong heartbeat. Um, they did pick up a large fibroid, which I never knew I had. Um, and I actually didn't know what fibroid was, which is Explain a Explain large... it to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm sure there are people listening who are like, yeah, so what is a fibroid then? <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, it's a large growth that happens on the uterus, which can cause like heavy periods, um, period pain, um, going to the toilet a lot if it's on your bladder, which I've had since I was about 17. So I have continuously gone to the doctors, explained all these symptoms, and in typical doctor fashion, they just gave me really strong 
uh, paracetamol and painkillers and just said, you'll be fine, take these and carry on with life. Um, I constantly thought I had water infections because I went to the toilet so much. And again, it was, they actually told me that it was in my head and I had to train my brain <laughs> to hold going to the toilet. Um, so I never, and I've never had an ultrasound scan uh, or been sent for one because why, why would they? Um, so I didn't know that was there. So at this eight week scan, they said, you have a fibroid, but if I'm honest, I am just somebody who does sort of ultrasounds and I don't know much about it. I don't really understand. You'll have to ask your midwife when you have your proper final scan. Um, so I did the usual thing, went home and Googled everything <laughs> um, and found out that actually they can be quite dangerous. Um, so, dangerous anyway, for you or dangerous for a baby? for the baby okay so it all depends so that you there's three different types and it depends where it's grown it can be on the outside or it can be on the mm. inside and if it's on the outside it's fine and if it's on the inside well I thought it would be fine and if it's on the inside it can be quite um, dangerous and quite high risk um, so was that something you discussed with like your midwife you're booking an appointment then because I guess that was the exactly. first time you yeah you had sort of any care so, um, but they're not doing the booking appointments in person. It's on the phone. Ah, so yeah. So this was, so you got pregnant in February, 2020, which as, I mean, if you're listening to this in the future and listening back, you'll be like, why was that a significant date? <laughs> this year, you'll be like, okay, so this is when COVID was starting to come on the radar. Yeah. So it was very, it hadn't, we hadn't gone into lockdown yet. Um, but they were doing like, temporary measures so they they still were doing the booking appointment over the phone um oh no actually they had booked it in and then they called me and said we're not going to be able to do it and we did it over the phone um so they just asked the normal routine questions I mentioned I had a fibroid and they said it's fine um again nothing to worry about we can look at that at your 12-week scan um booked me in for my 12-week scan and everything was fine um however I had a small bleed at 10 weeks so I mean if you've never been pregnant and it was only spotting but you just think the worst as soon as you see that um so I immediately was on the phone to the maternity but it was a Sunday so everything's always closed on a Sunday so they just said go straight to A&E by this point at 10 weeks we had gone into lockdown so it was now March and we were into um everything closed down so they they said come straight in we can't do a scan because um maternity is closed but go straight to A&E when I got to A&E they just said why on earth are you here mm. so I said well my maternity staff sent me here and they said well it's more high risk for you being in here in COVID than it would be for to just wait till tomorrow unless you were flooding and physically had to rush in um I would have waited but they said, you're here now, we'll do an internal, we'll check your cervix and um, we'll book you for a scan tomorrow. But do not come to A&E again unless you think you can't hold on till, mm. till Monday or when we're open. Um, so I said, OK, that's fine. Um, they did an internal. My cervix was still closed. They said spotting is really normal. Don't don't panic. Um, just wait till you have your scan tomorrow. So they booked me in for the following morning. So went to the following morning and again, everything um, they did, my, that would have actually been my first scan, really. I know I had the private one, but the first one in the maternity unit. Um, and that's when they picked up on the fibroid and the fibroid was actually 12 centimetres by 12 centimetres. 
which is large that's massive that's wow yeah yeah I'm just visualizing it right now you can't see video on the podcast but yeah I'm just like wow that's big yeah huge so um so they said the sonographer said this is really large you could see in her face she was shocked at how large it was Mm. um and just said we will book you you'll now be consultant led for your fibroid um so they said you're not going to see a consultant today because obviously this is a last minute appointment however they did reassure me the heartbeat was there that sudden relief because obviously I was on my own because partners couldn't be there um so the relief that I felt when I found out was just yeah um and everything was fine and I came back at 12 weeks still again everything just a normal healthy baby um I went in at 12 my 12 week scan and they checked they checked me over everything was fine um they said I can see fibroid um it's quite large again and you'll now go to the consultant so go straight through to your consultant but at that 12 week scan I had all the checks you know for Edward syndrome and Down syndrome and where they measure the neck and all those things so I had them at 12 weeks, um, then went to see the consultant and said, they spoke me through about the fibroid and said, it's absolutely fine. Um, we can reassure you it's on the outside of the uterus and it is nowhere near where your baby is growing. So everything will be fine. So does it not, sorry, this is my, kind of maybe my ignorance of the human body, but if you've got this like 12 centimeter lump in you, like, does it not affect anything? I mean, surely it's like pushing up against something. Exactly. So it was pushing against my bladder, which explained why. Oh, so that explained why. Every 10 minutes. Your your bladder was actually already the size of a pregnant woman before you even got pregnant, pretty much. They actually showed me, they showed it me on the ultrasound. And where your bladder should be like a circle, it was completely flattened. Wow. So from the beginning, from for the past 10 years, sort of I've had that restriction on my bladder, plus a baby now. <laughs> so it was like <laughs> very frequent toilet trips. I couldn't walk the dog because I'd need the toilet. Oh. So, um, but they again, they said it's nowhere near the baby and you are fine. I did ask if I wanted to have that, if I wanted to have that removed after the pregnancy, mm-hmm. is that a possibility? Where the consultant said, um, well, you won't need to get it removed. But if you did, the only way would be a hysterectomy. So I thought, oh, gosh, I went through, you know, the next 10 weeks or whatever, thinking if I ever have to have this removed, it's going to be a hysterectomy. And uh, fibroid grows from hormones. So the hormones feed it and makes it grow. So if you're pregnant, they then keep an eye on it because there's a big chance it might grow. Um, But they said even if yours grows, it doesn't matter because it's growing in the opposite direction. Um, so that was fine. Went home and then had a call off the midwife a week later with the results from the um, the test that were done at the 12 week scan. And they said everything's come back. So it's like one in 10,000 for um, Edward syndrome, one in 20,000 for Down syndrome. Um, everything looks really good. However, you've come back that it's low in Pape. Again, I'd never heard of Pape. Um, so they just said, nothing to worry about. Um, we're not going to get you in due to COVID. And, you know, but don't don't worry. It just means that the baby could have a small birth weight. Absolutely nothing else to worry about. So what's like, what is that? I mean, so, what, yeah, what are they measuring and how does that relate to the birth rate? So Pape is the hormone that feeds the baby through the, um, through the, so it feeds the blood supply to the baby. Ah, through the placenta. And it's the hormone. Blood. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, but they still, they didn't explain that to me. I had to actually go off and Google that. 
And I think had it not been for COVID, they would have actually got me in to to explain all these things and go through everything. And I also would have had, I think it's about 16 weeks. You have another face-to-face midwife appointment, um, which I didn't have. So does that, sorry, I have an interest in placentas because I've had placenta issues with both my pregnancies. And and I've I've honestly never heard of that, you know, that before and and that hasn't come up with mine. But did they... Is it to do with the kind of development of the placenta then? Did they offer you maybe an extra scan, a sort of 15, 16 week scan just to check on that kind of development of the placenta and, and whether that was developing okay? Or is it something that comes in later down the line? So this is where, so no, they didn't, um, it's nothing to do with the placenta. It's literally okay. just how the blood supply gets, from, the placenta's formed fine but it's how it feeds to the baby. Right, so when okay. I got to my, yeah, when I got to the 20-week scan, this is where everything was explained. Okay. So, yeah, so I was left for, uh, till my 20 weeks. So I actually had a private scan at 16 because I wanted to find out the um, sex of the baby. Okay. So I was far too excited. So paid for a private scan. Again, um, David couldn't come in. My partner, David, couldn't come in with me. Um, so I went in on my own, but we wanted to find out together. So I bought one of the, um, cannons that you do at home. Gender reveal things. Yeah. 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 Um, and it wasn't more for a gender reveal. It was more so we could find out together. Um, and that was just incredible. So I will mention that my partner's daughter, um, well, his, his daughter, uh, 10 years ago got uh, killed in a car accident at three years old. Oh my goodness. Wow. So it was, so I, he, he has a son. I have a stepchild, a son, um, that came later, but before him, he had, um, a really, yeah, terrible accident with her. That must've, I mean, that must've had a huge impact. Just even, you know, the thought of getting pregnant and having another child and and all of that must, you know, that there must've been some mental stuff going on with him in terms of coming to terms with that. And, and, you know, I guess the the sort of fears and hopes and joys around that. It must be a mixed emotions for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I just knew as well how much. So I I wanted a girl because I think every woman just wants a, that a mini me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I really did want a girl, but he he already has a boy, and I think not to replace Chloe in any way, but he was just desperate. And the fact that we found out it was a girl was just. I mean, I cried for, a, I think I was crying for a good three days every time I thought about the fact we were having a girl and I wanted it so much for him. Mm-hmm. So he was ecstatic. So yeah, that was a really, really lovely moment. Um, so yeah, that we, we hadn't actually told anybody we were pregnant because of COVID and we really wanted to do it in person. So we were really holding out at this point to tell people. And I think once we got that 16 week and found out it was a girl, that's when it was like, right, okay, let's tell everybody. And that's when we put it on Instagram and told all our friends. Um, and we did, we did end up doing like a gender reveal thing with the Canon. Um, so I then had booked in for my 20 week scan, but due to when they could fit me in, they couldn't actually see me till 21 weeks. Um, I don't think they think there was any reason. It's just that's when they could fit like me they, in. It's, they always say it's around 20 weeks anyway. It's like your 12-week yeah. scan could be anywhere between like 11 and 13 or 14 weeks. And I think it's the same for the 20 weeks. I think very few people get it 20 weeks on the dots. It's usually around then, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I had my, my ultra, I went in for the ultrasound um, on my own. And they said, um, 
she could see everything, but she said, I can't see something. There's something I can't see because she's not moving very much. But don't worry, I can see a heartbeat. They actually let me listen to the heartbeat and said, she's absolutely fine. She's just comfortable. Like she's chilled. She's not moving and I can't see something, but never actually told me what it was. So she just said, have a walk around and, and come back and we'll have another look. So I had a walk around, came back. She was like, oh gosh, she, she, you know, she must, must be really comfortable because we still can't see uh, what we're supposed to see. So I said, what are you looking for? And she said, it's just a valve on the heart. We have to take pictures of certain things um, to, to cross off a checklist. I can actually see it, but I can't get a picture of it. So it's, it's still, again, nothing to worry about. Um, she said, go to your consultant appointment and, and come back after and we'll have another look. So I went to the consultant appointment. Uh, the consultant came in and focused a lot on the fibroid and said, um, your fibroid's fine. Um, I can see that it's fine. It's still not growing near the baby. Um, it's on the outside of your uterus and everything's fine. So I said, well, um, can you tell me a bit more about this Pape? Because nobody's really explained it to me. And he said, what do you mean you're low in Pape? And I said, I'm supposed to be consultant led now for Pape. Um, can you not see that on my notes? And he said, it's, it's nowhere on your notes that you're low. Um, I haven't been informed and this is actually quite serious. So I'm going to go and find out what's happened. Don't worry. Um, I'll be back in about 10 minutes. So 25 minutes later, I'm still sat in the room. I actually went out to reception and said, like, what is going on? Is someone coming back? Um, so he, he then came back and said, look, the problem's been, you've had your, you know, your maternity folder that you have at home. Um, you've had that. It would normally be noted on there when you see your midwife again in between these scans, but because you've been at home and due to COVID, it's not being put on your notes and nobody's informed me by email or on your computer notes that you are low. Yeah. So um, don't so they I'm have really, like a digital record of it, would, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You would think. So um, he said, look, I'm going to go through what all this means. And that's where he explained that it is the hormone that is the blood supply to the baby. And um, if you're low, that means your blood can be quite thick and can't mm -hmm. get to the baby. Um, it can also be a high risk of stillbirth, mm -hmm. uh, a high risk of second stage miscarriage, um, a low birth weight. And you cannot go past your due date. We would have to do a C-section. So interestingly, because I would have thought if that is what the case is, did they not talk about putting you on aspirin or something earlier in your pregnancy, like when it was first diagnosed? So this is where um, he said, have you been put on aspirin? And I said, no, because I've not seen anybody. And they said, I'm so sorry, you should have been put on aspirin at 12 weeks. Um, so aspirin would thin the blood, mm -hmm. um, which would make the blood supply. And it would just basically, not necessarily correct everything, but would really help with the pape. Mm -hmm. um, so they, so I said, no, I haven't been put on aspirin. And I think it's maybe because I haven't seen anyone due to COVID. So nobody's got me in for this appointment and explained this to me where I think usually they'd have got you straight in um so he said look I'm really sorry I'm not doing this to scare you I'm just telling you because you need to know these facts he was probably the, so far the best person I'd seen because he was actually just giving me that information um but he was had that the said, same consultant you'd spoken to before then because you did speak to a consultant didn't you after your like 10 week scan or 
talks. Yeah. So every, yeah. So every appointment I had was with somebody different. So every ultrasound, every consultant. Yeah. Um, so no, it was a different one. Mm. I also asked about having it removed, uh, my fibroid removed, Mm. um, and the hysterectomy thing. And he said, why on earth have you been told that? He said, no, not at all. Um, you can have, there's several different ways of removing a fibroid and you most definitely do not have to have a hysterectomy. So (laughs) I don't know why that information has been given to you. Um, and he said, and then he said, look, we, we, we're, we're, we are where we are now. So, um, your baby is healthy, your baby is fine. Um, but it's too late to put you on aspirin. It's the main, the main part is 12 weeks to 20 weeks Mm. when they're growing their organs and things. So there was no point in putting me on aspirin now. So I then, so that appointment finished and I had to go back for my ultrasound. So they still couldn't see what they needed to see. So she said, look, um, we're going to, go away come back in a few days get the next available appointment as soon as we you can get in um whether it be to, even if it's tomorrow come back as soon as you can so they booked me in three days later so I, I came in on my own um and this is obviously where you get that horrific information um and they, the woman just touched my leg in the ultrasound and just said I'm really sorry Christina your baby has died so <laughs> you know oh, when your sh- your brain just can't process what somebody is telling you yeah and you just I just completely went into shock I think at that point um they just they they calmed me down they'd obviously if they'd had that part where somebody comes in and they said just let me get somebody else to have a look if somebody else had been in um and it was definite that the heartbeat had stopped. She didn't show me on the screen at that point. So I hadn't actually seen anything. She just um, told me. And it sounds, I mean, there is no good way to deliver that news, but it it sounds like she was really clear and compassionate. She didn't keep you waiting for you know for ages while they went out and fetched someone else and fetched someone else and sort of leaving you you in limbo she was really kind of quite clear about it and and you know it's you know it takes you so much time to kind of process that you're like well because you just don't believe it's a reality do you yeah so what actually happened is they took me into the side room those awful side rooms (laughs) um and they said bring your partner you know get him to come down immediately um which was probably the worst phone call that I've ever made Mm -hmm. um to him he was at work um and I just I think I was just a bumbling mess at that point I had I'd started to cry and just said the baby's died the baby's died and I think he just thought no that he's told me since he thought I'd got it wrong um but he jumped in the car and came down and I remember it was then that I said I need to be rescanned because I could feel the baby moving mm. um and I remember I just kept thinking that it, this isn't real I can feel her moving and I kept saying no I can feel her moving I can feel her moving to David um and they just if you said if you want me to rescan now David's here I will do that for you we can do that um because they asked you to t- I didn't want to go forward with anything else until they were sure which obviously they were. Now you think back, they wouldn't give you that news if they weren't. But it, my brain just couldn't, I, I couldn't take that in. 
So they did take me back with both of us together and showed us on the screen that she was just limp and wasn't moving. And I guess that was the first time that he, I mean, obviously he'd seen scan photos and things, but that was the first time he'd kind of seen her. Yeah, definitely. He hadn't, he hadn't seen anything till that point. Um, I mean, he he was there at the private eight week scan, but you only see I mean, I'd seen the they're, baby, they're like an egg. Oh, they? yeah. <laughs> it actually looks like an egg, and that's like the yolk in the yeah. middle or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the first time, and we just—I don't think we spoke for a few minutes, and we just stared, and it, it then hit the realization. But I was definitely still in shock. Mm. Um, so we went back into the room that we were in, and just—they just left us a moment. They said, "We're going to go in at a doctor, but we're going to leave you." for it's going to be about five ten like 10 minutes to just be with each other and just soak in this information um and at that point I'd stopped crying and I remember I just sat there I just I didn't speak I just David was just saying I'm so are you okay are you and I just could not get any emotion to come out and inside it was like so I remember thinking I was feeling like there was noise but there was nothing there um that's when the doctor came in, which this bit was a bit strange. <laughs> he just said, um, I'm sorry for your news, but this is going to be utter crap. He said, there's nothing I can do to make this any better apart from this is crap. And I know it is. And me and David just looked at each other and he just said, um, you, you know, uh, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do at this stage. We just need to move on. And I'm not even going to try and sugarcoat it to make it sound any better. Hey, that's very blunt. <laughs> Extremely. Um, so he then, I, I, do, I actually, I don't know whether this is just me being really naive. I didn't know you would have to give birth. I just thought at this point they were going to put me to sleep. They would do either a DNC or I, I don't know. I just didn't. It was the same. Yeah. 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 I was, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I knew somewhere. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I was just like, like, I, I kind of wanted to say, I remember I wanted to say, so how does the baby come out? But I thought that's a really stupid question. I can't phrase it like that. So I think I said something like, so, so what happens now, you know? (laughs) And I think like you, I just thought, well, are they, you know, are they going to cut the baby out of me or, you know, what happens? Yeah. So I, he then just said, you do, you know, you do understand we're going, you're going to be induced and into labor. And I just went, pardon. <laughs> and I said, you're going to be, you know, induced into labor. And he, but then he just started talking so normal and said, our maternity unit's actually closed due to COVID. So you're actually going to go to a different hospital um, where you will be induced. Um, they will give you a pessary and started to just explain it all. And I, I just sat there and I just kept repeating in my head, what do you mean I have to give birth? What, what, what do you mean? I, like, there's got to be another way. This is inhumane that I still have to go through all these pa- this pain without a baby. That like, It just wouldn't make sense in my head. Um, however, he did explain, you know, he said you can have all the drugs that you want. You can have morphine. You can have, um, you know, we'll put you on gas and air. We'll do all these things. He said you can't have an epidural. Um, but you can have everything else, any anything else. Well, that's interesting. Why did they say you couldn't have an epidural? Well, he'd actually got it wrong when yeah, I got to I thought, I thought you could. <laughs> uh, 
um I didn't I won't say too much but I didn't love my care at this first hospital it was just it wasn't great um but they did say obviously we're going to give you the tablet now that Mm. prepares the uterus for labor um and I remember I think I sat there for about half an hour going I just I I couldn't physically take this tablet because you just think that's it then yeah you just yeah you know that once you've taken it you can't go back and um that I've actually suffered quite bad PTSD mm-hmm. um since the since the birth and it's one it's this moment that I actually takes me back to because mm. it's as if my body froze at that point and I still I, I couldn't anyway I couldn't do it but half an hour passed and they did say they said look if you don't want to you can go home you can go home you can think this through um and come back tomorrow when it might have sunk in and you can take it then and it was at that point I just thought, no, I don't want to drag this on any longer. Um, I'll take it. So um, took the tablet and that was that was it. We had to wait about um, half an hour just to make sure that I had, didn't have a reaction. Um, but they also didn't tell me that I from that tablet, you can go into labour naturally. Um, I didn't know that. And thankfully, I didn't <laughs> go into labour naturally. It was only later I found that out. But that is actually the start of being induced. So we went we both drove there separately so I had to drive home and I do not I still now cannot remember that drive I don't remember getting in the car driving home getting home and no matter what I do I can't jog I can't jog my memory to remember it and we went home for two days and they were definitely the worst two days of my life (laughs) and I think I was just terrified I don't know how you can prepare yourself and prepare your brain to know that you're going to give birth in two days to a baby that you you think you've got another 10 you know 10 15 weeks left and you're going to come home with your baby to now this is it and this is stopped and this is and it's your first child as well yeah yeah so I, I don't know had you started even thinking about like birth preparations and what was involved in giving birth no, I hadn't even. I think I'd only just started Googling and finding out what to put in your hospital bag. And that was a hospital bag for the baby, not for me. <laughs> that was things like baby grows and nappies and uh, wipes and all that sort of thing. So um, I didn't actually know I would need a hospital bag, as stupid as that sounds. And the, I will still say now the best thing anybody did for me in those two days was my friend gave um, dropped a hospital bag off for me. So she gave it to my mum and it was all packed and she got me um, a nighty, um, maternity pads, nipple um, pads in case my milk came in, um, snacks because she said when you get dilated it can make you sick, um, mints in case I was sick, like it was just everything you needed was in that bag and I still say now that was just a god save because I could never there was no way I could go to walking around the shops trying to find these things or even know what to bring because I, I didn't know I mean I didn't even think I'd need a maternity pad I thought because mm. my I wasn't at 37 weeks I wasn't going to have this big bleed I mean I just was clueless so that was um if anyone needs to buy a gift for anyone that's going through this I highly recommend that because that was just incredible and to put that together at really short notice as well because you've only got yeah like a couple of days yeah. isn't it before you go back in yeah so she yeah, uh, that's amazing. yeah. um but apart from my mum came around I remember for an hour um which was actually against the law at this point because of covid but I think at that that point you just think there's 
it, I don't care. You know, I want my mum. She's coming. So I remember her being there for about an hour. Um, so I, I went home on the first, the Wednesday night and I was going in the Saturday morning and I remember her being there the Thursday. And that is all I remember of those two days, her there for an hour. Um, I don't remember going to sleep. I don't remember eating nothing. So there, that was sort of the end of my pregnancy journey up to then. So then you went back in, or so you went into a different hospital, weren't you? So you went into a new hospital on on the Saturday. How was this? How was your sort of experience in the care you received there? So I'd gone um, to actually now I'd gone to Withinshaw Hospital, which um, is actually St Mary's. So they had the Rainbow Clinic there, um, which I just felt completely blessed to be and that was just lucky that I was near that hospital and I'm so glad actually that my old hospital's maternity was closed because I hadn't received great care there to go into this brilliant shiny hospital which was just um I had a bereavement midwife call me the night before to go through everything um and say you know this is what's going to happen you are going to have contractions um she'd uh, already explained where to go and the ward to go through they gave us a password um, because David wouldn't have been allowed into the hospital without it. Um, so they gave us that and we went to, they had a bereavement suite, which um, we actually waited in the bereavement suite for about five hours before anything was started. And I remember I got so, I think in the moment now, if I look back, I was a bit inappropriate, but I got so angry because you just want to know what's going on and to start and for this process to just, you know, start yeah. so um they came in and I, I remember buzzing um they said hey you know you can re- you buzz this and we'll come straight in and said what on earth is going on I managed to have a sleep for about an hour in there because it's like a hotel room there's a bed a bathroom a kitchen um and so I had a little sleep and then they came in I got them in and they said I'm really sorry we're waiting for um a midwife and a room there's no we can't start it because we've actually no room um and I know that the room that they were in is actually specialised for um, for stillborns. So that actually made me feel really bad because I realised there was someone else in my position before me. And I'm going, come on, you know, what, hurry, hurry up. Why has nobody seen to me? And I immediately just thought, oh, God. Um, it's hard, though, because yeah, so we, was... we had the same thing we didn't we didn't actually get into the bereavement suite at all so I had I had Sky on the labour ward because the bereavement suite was full and all I remember thinking was that we were told like when you know when we went in and found out she died we were told we'd have this special room away from the labour ward and everything and then I got in I was like I was almost like why isn't it booked for us and you know just that part of me didn't think well obviously someone else has you know they can't just book it for you if someone else you know goes is going through that same thing and we were also kept waiting for hours so I can totally empathize with your kind of anger and frustration around that it's it's just not what you want is it it's like you kind of psych yourself up it's like right this is what I've got to do let's get on and do it yeah and I was I was lucky that um they had that bereavement suite because I've I've later found out some hospitals don't have that Mm. I found out the hospital I was originally at don't have that so I was lucky you know I had a room to sit in and I wasn't sat in the labor ward waiting for this room um the only thing I really saw was when I went into the hospital there was people coming out with their babies and you know when you just envision that picture that everybody has with the dad holding a baby chair and you'd get that picture and that's what everybody there was people taking those pictures and I remember just thinking 
is there not a different entrance to get into this hospital? <laughs> um, but anyway, after the five hours, they took they take a lot of bloods. So they they took about 10, um, 10 different bloods to check. Um, I later found out that would be go towards the postmortem of the baby. Um, they'd also explained to me at this point, they'd asked, would I like to meet my baby after I'd given birth? Um, and rightly or wrongly at this point, I'd actually decided I didn't want to see her. At, the, at, that, at that stage um, and they said have you got a name for her and we hadn't we hadn't got a name because we were 22 weeks and we I had about three different names and they just said well think of a name and I was so like I almost yeah. didn't want to, yeah I almost didn't want to name her because that made it me feel more real so I didn't want it to feel real at this point I didn't want to meet her I didn't want to name her I didn't want these things and the I am so grateful for this um, nurse I spoke to that just said, look, if I can recommend anything, you can you can meet her and have five minutes and think this isn't for me, but you can't go back. So if you say no, I've, I've met so many women who really regret that. So I would advise you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the name, she said, um, you know, people think of fruits or... Um, something that they called them while they were pregnant and that's when me and my partner said well we've actually called her peanut <laughs> that's what we'd always said like oh little peanut and so we just thought well it's not an official name but that is what we've known her by so you know that can that can go down as her name because that's all we'd known a little peanut so it kind of stuck <laughs> um and then she said about meeting her she just said look you don't have to decide now we can decide tomorrow you know um but have a really do think about it um and then that's when they took me down to the um the ward where I was going to give birth and it was in a private room so we had you know our own toilet and shower um and our own our own suite well ward um so that's when they said look we're gonna put a pessary in we'll then leave you to for 12 hours if you've still not started labor we'll put another one in and then if you've still not started we'll do a third one um we do probably think we'll have to do three because you're nowhere near ready to give birth um but we'll we'll see how it goes and this is when i met my midwife and oh my god she was just incredible um from having such rubbish care and not having somebody to rely on to meet her was just oh she was like an angel basically and she just really put me at ease my whole I remember my whole body was shaking I was so terrified of what I was about to do and she and that's when she said you know have you decided what what you want to do as a birth plan do you um you know do you want an epidural and that's when I just thought oh hallelujah (laughs) because that I'd already decided if I gave birth I would have an epidural so I just said I'd been told by this other hospital I couldn't have that and she said, no, she said, of course, you know, she said, most pay, most people go through all this pain and take a baby home. And I'm not, you know, no disrespect, you're not taking a baby home. So, of course, you can have an epidural, of course. Um, so that's when I said, yeah, absolutely, please. Um, but she said, look, we'll see how we go. You know, you might, um, you might be stronger than you think. And we'll start you off um, on gas and air. And we'll go from there and just see how you go. So we had the first pessary um, and 
my part, we'd brought an iPad because we knew it was a long process. So we'd brought an iPad to be able to watch films and we actually watched Mamma Mia. My partner was like, let's just watch something that's a bit uplifting and watched Mamma Mia, which... They always make me cry. Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia too. Like, it always makes me cry. (laughs) It's that mother-daughter thing. (laughs) Yeah, which I didn't think of at the time. And it was Mamma Mia too and she gets pregnant. Oh yeah, yeah. Great like choice. the worst film you could have watched. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fine. It worked and it was just cheery. And yeah, so we watched that. And as we were watching it, I could feel um, just like bad. It almost felt like bad period pains. Um, and I called her in and she said, it'll be the beginning of labor, but you're so far. So don't worry. Just kind of, well, give, gave me some paracetamol and, you know, carry on. So we'd finished Mamma Mia. I had... Um, you know, we just sat and talked and it still, I think, hadn't, it is as if my body had gone, I've got to do this, so I'm going to do it. Um, it kind of shut off to what was happening. Um, it then got more and more painful. So she came in and said, look, we'll start you off with gas and air. And I think this is the point. It just felt so real. I was getting in bed, um, you know, I was getting undressed into like a nighty, and I didn't, I couldn't work the gas in there. <laughs> and they were like, you, you need to breathe in three seconds, breathe out three seconds. Um, and I just burst into tears. I just, uh, I just, again, that thought of how on earth am I supposed to get through this was just, um, so at that point after the gas in air, my midwife actually said, I've got to go home now. <laughs> and I just, I thought, how on earth is this only person that I've trusted? Um, please don't go. Please. And I burst into tears. And I've uh, this. I've got. Uh, I know I've said this before, but I do have PTSD, and I have flashbacks. And this is the point where I had a flashback of my partner David at one end of the bed and the midwife at the other. And we only just found out that that flashback was of that midwife leaving because it was just so significant to me. And. Um, yeah she she then introduced me to Faye who was my next midwife and she was I mean she was absolutely brilliant (laughs) they were both fantastic but I just didn't want her to leave um but she she was equally as good and she put the second pessary in and um again at this time it was about one o'clock in the morning so she just said we're gonna get David a bed which was brilliant so he could have a sleep um and at this point, my contractions had gone quite strong um, and they were getting quite painful. So they brought the morphine in, but I didn't really love the morphine. It kind of just made me feel sick. It wasn't really doing any pain relief, just making me feel sick. So they said, look, you're, I, I then it was too painful. And they, they said, look, you can have your epidural. And I just sat on the edge of the bed and I, I just couldn't stop crying and that's when I started being sick and I think I was just I was so scared I don't like injections I don't like needles and I was a oh I was a mess so yeah David came around held my hand had the epidural and from then on it got a little bit easier um I had a little sleep um and she just kept coming in and checking and this midwife actually sat with me in the night for two hours and just talked to me. And I realized that she lost a baby at about 18 weeks. And that was so lovely to just have someone who knew exactly how I felt and what I was going through and just sat with me for what felt like the whole night. But like I said, I think it was about two hours. Um, and David had a sleep. But we, 
I just suddenly felt an urge that she was, because I'd had an epidural and I couldn't feel anything. I just suddenly could feel like a twinge that something was happening. And um, she came around and just said, if you want, you know, if you want to, she checked and she said, there's nothing um, because she'd only just put, sorry, she'd only just put the second pessary in about half an hour before. So they just didn't think it would happen as quickly. And um, she she felt and said, you're not, I can't feel anything. You're not dilated. But if you feel like you want to push, then push. And I just said, I do, but I don't want to because I just, I didn't want, I knew that that was it, you know? And yeah, so I just said to David, I don't want to, I don't want to. And he said, you've got to. He said, I'm so, you really have to. This is, you need, you need to do it, Christina. And it was, I, that's when she came. I just pushed and pushed and it was about, it was only a few minutes and she was, she was there. And the midwife, I didn't even see her. The midwife just grabbed her, put, put her, I think she'd put it, put her behind her. Um, but she'd actually, she said, oh my gosh, she's come out in the waters. So my waters never broke. She came wow. out just complete in the waters, yeah. Um, so I don't know if they popped the waters. I actually don't know. She well, they obviously did, but yeah. I didn't see that. <laughs> She's not still in the waters, so yeah, they obviously did. Um, but she just said, "I'm going to take her. Um, I'm going to leave you two together um, and just have a little bit of time, the two of you, and I will come back in about an hour or so to check that you're both okay she said that the shower's there you know feel free to have a shower if you need me to come back and help you into the shower or anything like that I'll be back but you need I needed to wait for the epidural to wear off Mm. so I could get up um and I think we just cried for about um yeah for about 45 minutes I think I just cried did you decide at that point that you did want to see your daughter did you talk about that yeah so it was about I think it was David that came over and just said I think um because David saw her well he saw her come out in Mm. in the waters and just said I think we should um see her I just I couldn't I don't think I think he couldn't live with me regretting it never Mm. mind him I just think he thought it would be really good for me and I instantly said absolutely like Mm. I definitely want to meet her um which we then told the midwife and she like I said she came in about an hour later and we told her that we wanted to meet she came in and said have you thought about meeting her we've actually dressed her for you we've got some clothes that we've put her in um and we've put her into a, a Moses basket and she you know she she I was I think I was scared of what she was going to look like because she was only um well she'd have been about 21 and a half weeks but I gave birth at 22 um and I think I was scared of what an un developed baby would look like um but I yeah I wanted to meet her so I'd showered and got dressed and then they said well we'll take you upstairs and we've put her in the bereavement suite so we went back up and yeah that's when we that's when we met her and I'm just so (laughs) grateful for those people who said please you know and I was not lucky but my cousin lost a baby at um 18 weeks and she'd also said she didn't meet her baby and she she really regrets it she just said I would you know for you I really would and I'm so glad I had those influence influences from other people and she was she was yeah beautiful and she was she was formed Mm -hmm. the only thing that wasn't was her skin was really thin so she was just pink um but everything else was was perfect her hands and feet and yeah so they 
they'd done the sands so they'd said look we've put she's had a teddy with her um mm. and you've ha- and we'll give you this and then in an hour or so um we'll swap them over and you will have the teddy that's been with her and she will have the one that's been with you and we will leave that with her so we've done that and they did the um the handprints and footprints for us and they'd they'd almost taken that um they just said look we we think you should do this and I'm so glad they just kind of pushed they didn't push me into it but my brain wasn't thinking at that time Mm -hmm. so I'm glad there was someone else there to almost think for me of what know what I would want they knew that I would want those things and they did those things and they're something that I will treasure they're they're all I have left are these we took pictures and photos and yeah we spent about an hour they left us with her in the bereavement suite and we, we spent about an hour with her which yeah. is yeah lovely and did they so I guess she did she go for a post-mortem and because so obviously she was born at 22 weeks which is before the kind of so she's technically classed as a sort of late miscarriage even though you're going through exactly the same you know process of giving birth etc how did you feel about that about the you know the fact that maybe officially legally on those documents she she didn't exist um at the time within the hospital was so great they didn't make me feel like that so Mm -hmm. they they were so the way they spoke about her the way that they were with her the the way that you know they dressed her and they I didn't feel as if it was they didn't make me feel like the way they the words they used I didn't feel like it was a miscarriage um so that I had to come back in the next day. We went home that night and came back because um, we, they wanted to go through everything for the postmortem. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to explain what they're going to do to her and you have to sign everything to say you're happy with it. And she gets sent off to the children's hospital. Um, so they actually said, you can spend, she's still here if you want to see her again. So we actually, we spent another hour with her the day after. Um, so they put her in a cold car overnight and, um, so that again was lovely we spent another hour took loads of more pictures mm. um so and that's where they just they, they went through all the the post-mortem and what mm. they would do and we had to sign everything and we opted for to have a full post-mortem mm-hmm. um because I think you're you just almost want an, an answer why mm. and um that's what I was waiting for I needed a, a why and mm. what it was for yeah and did you met did you get any answers from the post-mortem so the postmortem results came back um, 16 weeks later, which they did say it would be a mm. long time. Um, and in the meantime, with you saying about, you know, how did you feel with it being a miscarriage? They actually gave us a certificate, which okay. almost was a bit like a birth certificate. And it had her name, the date, the time she was born and just said, I know it's not a birth certificate, but it's just to show she existed. And this okay. is for you. And that's where I just felt it didn't feel like that it does to the outside world I think but to me the hospital made it it didn't feel like that which is the most important Um, thing yeah yeah um so the post-mortem results came back and it had said that um that there was a small clot in the umbilical cord so from the blood passing through there was a tiny clot which to me screams pape and screams that if they'd have put me on aspirin from 12 weeks that wouldn't have happened and the midwife actually said here we put would put someone on aspirin immediately if they were low in pape um and when we asked her we said do you think that would have resolved it you could see she didn't want to say yes that's the reason why because she can't say that you know nobody knows that for a fact that that would have helped 
Um, but she just said, it's what we would do here. So I can't say that would have helped, but it is what we would do here. And we can't say that's the reason because it is a tiny clot. So we can't say that's the reason. Um, she was developed fine. Her organs, her um, the size, everything had developed. So had that pregnancy carried on, it would have been a, a healthy pregnancy. Um, going back actually to the fibroid, um, I've since, um, they looked at the scans from being pregnant and basically it had grown in where she was supposed to be. So again, the other hospital had got it wrong. Um, so they also, on the post-mortem results, said it could have been um, that she ran out of space to grow because the fibroid was so large. Um, so we don't know, for, in- for a fact, it could be the fibroid, it could have been the pape, um, but they can't say for definite. I feel like it was the pape. That's just a feeling that I have, but we don't know. And I have later had a myomectomy. So I've now had a, a major, oper- I've had the myomectomy operation and had my fibroid removed. Okay. We are, we're kind of running a bit short on time, but I really wanted to ask you if you're happy to talk about your PTSD a bit and perhaps sort of, I guess, how you became aware that that's what you were struggling with and what sort of treatment you sought for it and if that's helped you. Yeah, so um, I wasn't aware that I had PTSD. I just knew that I constantly would have dreams and I would wake up and have images of me um, in the hospital. So it was like flashes of my birth. Um, And then also I used to, uh, I would look back and I would also have flashes of the scan. And when when she told me the baby's heart, when the baby had died, um but I couldn't figure out it was as if like I couldn't remember what the midwife looked like she was just a figure um but also I just needed that person to speak to um so I actually went I have therapy now every um every week and I think that is the best thing I have ever done to have um because I think you can feel so lonely and since in grief I've just felt like your friends and your family can be there but they just they either say the wrong thing or they don't know what to say or you know um time's a healer and yeah time's a healer but you're not I actually found I got worse so I was at beginning I was in shock and then it all started to kick in later on um so I definitely I I made the decision to go to therapy and she when I explained these things, she said, okay, we, I think you're suffering from PTSD. Um, and that I now have trauma therapy where I have to talk about um, stages of where I've been through and we'll go back to the labor and we'll go back to the scan and we'll go back to all these things and things slowly are coming back to me, which explains what those flashbacks are. Um, but I've later come to realize it's really common for people to have and people don't realize that they have it. Um, but it was my therapy, my therapist that diagnosed me diagnosed me with that yeah I had uh, when I saw a therapist she also thought I had a bit of PTSD and I really struggled at that point I think it was too early for me I couldn't go back and go through those memories and and like I, I literally I couldn't get the words out when I was trying to do it and I think perhaps you know she was the wrong person for me because you obviously yeah. have to have quite a lot of trust there don't you sort of so with your therapist, was it someone you sort of referred to through the NHS or did you see someone privately? I saw someone privately. So the NHS, again, because of COVID, um, they didn't get me in for any checkups since I've given, but I didn't have a doctor's appointment. Oh I didn't have um, a midwife come around to the house. I had nothing. So mm. I was kind of left. I have my bereavement's midwife phone so I could phone her. 
Um, but I didn't have a doctor of routine checkup. So mm. no, it was myself that, um, that I just found someone online who was local to me. And thank goodness it was the right person for me yeah. because I've spoke to other people who've just said it was just, it didn't work for me and I didn't, couldn't connect with her. Um, whereas for me, yeah, I, I thankfully found the right person. Yeah. But, and um, well done for doing that because it is it can be hard to kind of reach out and kind of accept that you really need that support but it it can be so helpful in terms of as you say helping you to process things and just having someone to talk to about it who won't say or certainly shouldn't say the wrong thing yeah because my friends my friends were great they really were but they just I couldn't find that support from them um I actually found my support from podcasts so I listened to your podcast all the time and I read a lot of books and they were my comfort blanket. I used to go for dog walks and just listen to other people's stories. And they are actually what got me through because I realized that everything I was feeling was normal. I felt lonely and isolated and that no, that the anger that nobody understood, nobody wouldn't understand what I was going through. And that's where just listening to how other people felt. Yeah, it was like a little comfort blanket for me. So I have to say, I'm very much the same. I often turn to books and podcasts and and that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast actually because there there was certainly, when I started it also after Skydive, there there weren't that many out there. There are a few more now, but um, uh, there certainly weren't then. And, you know, I found the odd episode on different podcasts um, and I listened to quite a lot of grief podcasts. Um, But yeah, so that was was definitely one of the the reasons why I started this. Yours was the only one I found at, at the time that, and, and you are right, more has come out now. But at that point, yours was the only one I found. So I found myself sourcing um, certain podcasts on other things where people yeah. spoke about it and trying to pick up them. So no, yours was like a little lifesaver for me. So thank you. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad it helped. I'm very glad it helped. And just as, as a final question, we're so we're recording this in December. We'll go out in January. Um, but Christmas is a really tough time of year um you know after you've lost a baby how how have you been finding this December and the run-up to Christmas so uh, I'm trying to remind myself I think that anticipation of it is worse than the actual day so I've gone through the due my due date was October um and I, I oh I dreaded it so much um we went away we went to London for the weekend um because I just could not be at home with it um, and I'm feeling the same way about Christmas. I keep dreading Christmas Day and just thinking, you know, when you put the tree up, I should have been holding a baby to put the tree up and all these memories. So um, we've got a Christmas decoration that, um, that's beautiful. It's like a feather and it's got her name in it and it says peanut and we've hung that on the tree. Um, but because it's for me, it still feels quite raw. I've not had to physically do anything because she is constantly on my mind all the time. Um so people have sent us Christmas cards with her name in, which I think is really lovely. Um, and But for me to remember, just, yeah, just with the Christmas decoration. And um, I've signed her name on a couple of things as well. Uh, but I haven't felt I've had to physically do anything because she still seems, feels with me. We actually had a cremated. Um, and so we had the service that they offer after where we had a cremation with her and we still have her ashes so we're waiting. To, so I still feel like she's here, strangely. Yeah. So I've not, yeah. So I don't feel I've had to specifically do anything, but she's very much the front of my memory every day. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. We are out of time, but thank you so much for coming onto the podcast to share your story. Would you like to tell people where they can connect with you online? Yeah. So my Instagram is just Christina Rothwell. 
So it's not any uh, underscores or anything. It's just uh, all one word, Christina Rothwell. Fantastic. And I'll include that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Christina. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.